You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. It's great to be here today and to be able to greet you once again in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Isn't that why we're here? I love the spirit of worship and, and consecration to our Maker. And, um, you know, that, you know, as a child of God... You know, there's things in life that only become more precious in time. Because when you realize in life how dependent we are on the reality that we have a resurrected Lord and Savior in our lives that is working in real time in our lives and situations, it fills us with hope. Because while our hearts are are gripped with the realities of the conflicts In our world, my heart is drawn to the reality as well, folks, that we are in a spiritual warfare. And we have a conquering king leading us. He has given us specific direction for our lives. And I just believe he has a word for us today. I just believe he's speaking throughout this week as I was thought about coming, excited about coming. We are so grateful to be a part of the NTC family. Isn't God good? Isn't God amazing in the way he connects lives and connects hearts and, 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 and fills us together with a vision that we can together be laborers? For Jesus Christ, it, it, it brings such glory to his name. If we're not doing it for any other reason than that, it's enough. But there's so much that God would have us to fulfill. And I just, I just want to um, share some of the things on my heart that God's been stirring in my heart this week. And then he woke me up this morning and said, no, you got to change that. I, I, you need to share this scripture. So we'll see what God has for us here in the, the next 20 minutes or so. But as I think of the heart of Jesus for us individually and I believe collectively as a church and as churches, I hear the pleading voice of Jesus as he begins the book of Revelation and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into them and and sup with them, dine with them and they with me. And I hear the pleading voice of Jesus, if, if, anyone. And he he begins to broaden that picture and he begins to plead with the churches that, that, and, and to encourage them but also even chasten them and convey to them, folks, you've been pursuing so many good things, so many perfect things, so many things that seem to have value but you're missing out on the best part. The problem is you're going to have to release what you've been clinging on to because I want to give you gold and silver that's been tried in the fire. I want to give you value. I want to give you something that will compel you, enable you to be what I want you to be in this day, in this generation. And I believe that's the heart of Jesus for the church of Jesus Christ in 2022. That we would be a part of those that are listening to the voice of Jesus and saying, what do you have for us? What do you have for us in 2022 that will enable us to be your heart in this day and in this generation? That possibly, you know, as I find in life, God continues to broaden our visions. He continues to equip us. 
You know, the challenges of this year, the challenges of this decade aren't a surprise to our Creator. No, it's not. He sees the end from the beginning, and that's what I love about the Great Commission, where he said, he said he's sending us forth. And he says, lo, I, I, Jesus, am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that's a powerful message for us to internalize. And I, I just wanted to share some thoughts with you today as, I, as, 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 uh, as we think about our walk with Jesus, we become passionate. And I, I titled it, the, the Pursuit of Perfection. And I think so many times in life, we become enamored with the perfect that we forget about the real. And we forget that our Jesus and our Creator is actually real. He's actually designed to be tangible and something that can be experienced by humanity. And that's why when, when John 3:16 and 17 tells us that God so loved the world. That is a message that is just so much more than just a ticket to get us to heaven. It's a message declaring the heart of the Father for you and I and for humanity. So when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, as we look at those verses in John, we realize how much the heart of our God, our Father, is burning with a passion. And Elaine said it so well, in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a moment when you realize that the, that the love between a parent and a child is something that cannot be expressed, cannot truly be exposed and truly be represented with words. But there's that feeling between a parent and a child that truly is real between the Father and the Son as He gave His only begotten. Son, it was a declaration of the commitment and the, the authenticity of his love for humanity. And that is the direct declaration we see. You know, in life, like I said, it's easy for us to get enamored with the perfect and, and, and enamored with, with something that works for you. And we see that all, right? You know, if you want to think, if you want to get a false sense of perfection, just go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And you see all these perfect gadgets and all these perfect marriages and all these perfect things. But let me tell you, there's something about a perfection that, that emerges amongst the real that is a perfection that Jesus Christ births in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of ashes, in the midst of losses, in the midst of things where people would want to throw up their hands and say the work must be over. But Jesus said it's only beginning because he works in the broken, he works in the needy, and he works amongst the losses. And that is truly what empowers us as children of God. Perfection. You know, it can be described in many perfect, way, many perfect and imperfect ways. You know, perfection to one person might be, you know, a 
you know, a, a cup of tea on the back porch, you know, watching the sunrise. To, to some of you guys, it might be, a, you know, a chainsaw and lemonade and, and a hot day, you know, you're getting something done. That feeling, that sense of destiny, that sense that you're fulfilling what you're called to do, that sense of the reality that life is bigger than yourself, but it's something that can be embraced by and in the knowledge of your creator. But as we think about perfection in our lives, the scripture that God just brought to my heart early this morning that I want to share with you is 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you could probably quote this, or at least some of it. Just had a wedding yesterday. Probably was talked about there. We like to hang these on our walls, right? And, uh, and, and share them. Make our kids quote them when they're fighting, right? You know? These are things we do with these. We like these phrases. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. The Word of God is a useful tool. But here Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers. Now, I don't have time to talk to you in detail about the Corinthian believers, but they were certainly a group of people that didn't have their act together from, from men's perspective, from, from a religious perspective, and Paul is writing to them, and this whole book is filled with, with this sense of, 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 who, of, of who Jesus is, and it begins with that. It just, it just comes through the whole book in so many very, very practical ways, but he, he finally comes to chapter 13 here after talking about the body of Christ like we already heard about today, and he, he gives this pleading, poetic appeal to the Corinthian believers. And he said, let me show you. And I feel like he's trying to convey the heart of the Father to the Son. Just like Elaine described. I feel like he's trying to convey something. And he's stammering for words. And he's like, I, I can't get my point across. But, but listen to what I'm saying. And he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If you ever heard that those kinds of noises, and you, all you want to do is like, shut up. Amen. <laughs> Amen. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans, I tell you, I'd want to, want to live next door to that person, wouldn't you? Maybe, and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, but didn't love others, but didn't love others, I would be nothing, nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But, if it. but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
what is perfection? What is the fulfillment of perfection? Where should our focus be if we're going to truly experience the perfection that God alone can and will give? That perfection that is, fe- that is felt between a husband and wife after decades of love for one another, going through the storms together, facing the challenges together. That, 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 that perfection that's felt between children and parents, that perfection that's felt in those moments when you're quiet and alone at the end of the busy day. That kind of perfection, what does it look like? What, how does it felt? How can we experience it? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Did you ever go apologize to somebody and say to them, I'm sorry for what you did? And they, I don't have a record of it. You're certainly good. Oh, perfection. Perfection. That aroma to the soul. Kind of like, you know, getting a fresh morning cup of coffee and oh perfection if you're a coffee drinker perfection oh should i keep reading to get enough <laughs> it keeps no record of being wronged it does not rejoice about injustice oh, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out love never gives up Hallelujah. You know, you'd think we're talking about Jesus right now, right? This is what we know about Jesus. But Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers, and he's appealing to them. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Do you have a friend in your life that never loses faith in you? They never give up on you. That is the picture of true love. That is the picture of perfection. And I urge you, if you want that kind of love and perfection in your life, I urge you to be that to somebody. To be that to somebody. And you'll come to find out what that really feels like. And you'll find as you lose your own life, you'll actually be saving your life. Because that's how the gospel works. It's a double win. When you lose your life for something, the, the other person wins and you win. I mean, isn't this a plan that, that truly the gates of hell are, are, are literally shaking in, in, in fear as they realize that there's actually a few believers that will believe this and actually do it. And that's why Jesus is saying, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. You're not going to read it out of a book. It's going to come from my heart to your heart, to that brother, to that sister, to that neighbor. And that's the freshness. That's the real time move of God in 2022. But rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. 
prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. Sorry, prophets. That was a hard one to read. But it's true. It's in the Bible. And we love you so much, and we need you so much in the body. But remember, remember, you're a part. You're a part of the big picture of God birthing a demonstration of his love and his totality through his church, through the bride of Christ. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke in thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly. And he's, he's trying to illustrate to us the, the, the transition in our own experience and the transition in our own lives from that which was familiar to us, from that which was something that was real to us, from that which was something that even brought us security. He said, don't you remember as a child there were certain things that were important to you that gave you security that possibly by the age of one, two, or three, you know, you find gave up that pacifier by the age of 8, 9, or 10, you, you finally didn't feel the need for that little blanket to hang on to. There was nothing wrong with that. It communicated something of value to you, but you went as a child, you, were, you acted like a child, and that was perfect in that time, but he's saying it's okay to grow up. It's okay to experience new things. It's okay to demonstrate the love of Christ in 2022 the way Christ would do it if he was here today. Because he is here today in you and I. And he's just trying to stretch them. He's trying to plead with them. His last appeal for them to go all out in demonstrating the love of God in Corinth in that day, in that time, in that generation. <clears throat> now we see things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But when we will see everything with perfect clarity. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Oh, and that I know, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. These three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You know, as we look at the heart of Paul here, pleading with them, I think verse 10, verse 10 stands out to me the most. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. And as I, as I thought about that, I thought about the pursuit of perfection is ultimately the willingness to release the things that are actually keeping us from moving into all that God has for us. And I'm sure in any relationship in your life, you've had those tests and you had those challenges where what, what do you do now? What do you do now? My wife just responded this way or my husband responded that way. I never faced this before. You know, our house, you know, maybe possibly, you know, your house is empty and the kids are gone and you were expecting this to be easy, but it's a transition. You know, maybe possibly if God's calling you as a couple into ministry and, and you know, it's, it, the, you're feeling the pull of it, you're feeling the strain of it, you're like, hey, 
what happened to the, to the days and the time when, when we could just, you know, be together all the time and we didn't carry the burdens of, of the community or the world on our shoulders. We go through these transitions in life. But the exciting thing about love is that as we walk it out, we realize that love becomes richer and stronger and more amazing in those moments, in those times when we feel, when it feels that like our marriage is over, whatever the situation, and we come back to the rock bottom truth and, and Jesus births love anew and fresh within us for each other as a couple, for the ministry he called us to, and hell trembles and backs up when they realize that they will not prevail against the power of this love in the life of a couple. And there's so many ways we can apply this in our lives. And there's so many ways that God keeps stirring it in our hearts and lives as a family, as a church, and as a generation. I want to just, for a few minutes, take us to the book of Acts. Yeah. We love that book, right? It's, you know, wow, what would have been like to be there? You know, what would have it been like to be there amongst those believers and to see the name of Jesus lifted up in such a powerful way and to see the church of God, you know, changing culture and, and confronting, you know, being a, a, a feeling, making the, the religious leaders and the civil leaders feel like they're losing control. And, and that's reality, what we, what we see in the book of Acts. But how did it start? How did it start? It started with a group of believers that were following Jesus. And they found a security in Jesus. They found a closeness with him. They wanted to be close to him. The idea that he would have the audacity to walk with them three years and leave the scene was more than they could handle. They literally couldn't handle. We, I don't think the Bible fully expresses to us what was going on in their hearts and minds. The sense of, of division that came. The sense of fear that was exposed. The, the sense of, of the reality of what now? These guys, and I, I'm telling you, it was mostly men. There was probably a few women. Most of the women, they were out looking for Jesus. They weren't going to give up. They weren't going to stop looking. But at least all the men, they found themselves locked behind doors for fear of what was going to happen. I don't know if you've been tempted to do that at all the last few years, but I'm sure in one way or another, we, we faced moments where we wondered what next. But in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus was at that moment where he was ready to leave, they would travel out to the spot. He was ready to go. And he gave them one commandment. Tarry in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Go and wait. Go and wait. So they traveled to Jerusalem. It says it was a Sabbath day's journey. They traveled to Jerusalem. They were there waiting in the, in the upper room. 
But there were some days that went by. I don't know what all the events that took place in that time long enough for, for our dear Peter, who seemed to be focused on the details right and wanted to get everything right. He figured out that they needed to add another apostle, which, which is fine. That's fine. But there was things happening, you know, things going on. But they kept waiting. And it came the time 10 days later when as they were assembled together, there was a great noise that came. It was a, a sound from heaven, like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it, it filled the house where they were gathering. And as it filled the house and, and the noise, there was, there was little flames of fire that came down on them, and, and they began to speak in languages of, of all the people that were assembled around. And as this noise and this chatter and this commotion started happening, all the people that were in the surrounding area, they, they started listening, and, and that guy saw that woman running, and that one running, and they they all started soon a mob gathered and all these people from all kinds of native places began to hear and see the demonstration of the spirit and power communicated through the disciples and you may ask the question and and we can we can literalize well why the flame and why the tongues and all that but i i like to think of it simply in the fact and the reality that there was a visible if there was a deaf person there they saw the flame. They knew a spirit encounter was happening. And if there was a blind person there, they heard the tongues. Every single human being was hearing a declaration that Jesus Christ was Lord and that the demonstration and fulfillment of his, of his birth and then of his death and resurrection and the spirit being poured out for all men and all women was being fulfilled in their sight and in their ears and Thousands of them believed. When Peter said, the one who you crucified is Lord and Christ. That was the authority that the early church was started on. Acts chapter, two, Acts chapter 2, you know, we just see the amazing revelation of what God was doing. And moving. Acts chapter 3, you know, the, the, the early church there in Acts chapter 3, you know, Peter and John, they, they, they were leaving, they're walking out that morning. They were going to the temple, you know, to, to see what was going to happen that day. But as they went to the temple, they saw a landmark that had been there all along. It was not a new scene. I mean, the lame man was sat at the gate. Daily to beg alms. It wasn't a new sight. It was there all the time. But they knew, now knew what their mission was. And they now saw that lame man. The only difference between him and them. The only difference. He was not isolated in any way. The only difference was that they had Jesus Christ. And this man didn't. And they looked on him, and he looked at them, ready to get money from them. And they said, we can't give you any money. In fact, we don't have anything. The only thing we have worth value is Jesus Christ, and we want to give him to you. And they reached out their hand, and they pulled him up, and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he went leaping and walking and praising God. And the people there that were around the temple that hadn't believed yet, hundreds of them believed. And all the leaders were all the more furious because the Peter and John saw themselves in the lame man and reached out and pulled him up and he received the power of God in his life. This is the book of Acts, brothers and sisters. 
It's a play-by-play process of the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 4, they finally jailed these guys. What are we going to do? They're literally taking over the culture. They're literally taking over the civilization. They, 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 they imprisoned them. They challenged them. And they realized the crowd was not going to settle for this. And so they said, well, we're going to release you. We give you one charge. One charge. Do not, you can preach, but do not preach in the name of Jesus. They released them. Guess what? It was better for them to obey God rather than men. So they went on preaching in the name of Jesus. We see Acts 5. People got filled with an agenda to use the church for their own purposes. The Holy Spirit took care of that in a very sad way. Acts 6, the widows, they were in need. The, the body of Christ got rallied around them and served them. Acts chapter 7, Peter was, Stephen was being stoned. And as he was being stoned and humiliated and cursed, he looked up into heaven, and what did he say? I see Jesus. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Acts chapter 8, Paul was ready to, Saul was ready to do his final, final, um, final blow. The church was scattered. In Acts chapter 9, we see judgment day came for Saul. As he was on his horse headed out to, to fulfill his authority. But he met the biggest authority of all. And he fell on his face. And he, and, he, and he said, who am I talking to? And the voice said, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Go find Ananias and he'll tell you what to do. There's a work for you. Saul was changed that day. His name was changed. Would to God our names would be changed when we find Christ because there's a new calling on us. Hallelujah. And we can live for his purposes. Acts chapter 10, we see Cornelius. We see the story of Cornelius. Peter was, was, uh, was tired and he had a vision of this this. this, um, this Blanket came down with all kinds of unclean animals on it. And, and in that vision, he was told to kill and eat. And, and, and Peter said, no way. No way. I'm going to do things right. And the voice said, no. That which God calls clean, you may not call unclean. And it happened more than once. God was trying to get a point across to Peter because minutes later there was a knock on his door from an Italian centurion had sent people. And, and, and Peter told these guys, you know, if, if you would have come six hours ago, I wouldn't have went with you. But my God told me what he calls clean. I shouldn't call unclean. So I'm going to come and I'm going to preach the gospel and see the Holy Spirit poured out on whoever will may believe. And he got in trouble for that because in Acts chapter 11 they got Peter together and said, what in the world? You're saying that? That, that people like the Italian centurion can receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, I don't know what else to tell you, but I had a vision. And this is what happened. And I'm going to obey God and lift up Christ to the place that he needs to be in our lives. And because he is building his church. And the elders said, wow, this is bigger than I thought. And they embraced the perfection of the gospel of Christ. Folks, I just want to urge you to open your heart. Because we have the promise of a Savior, as Jude tells us. In the last two verses of Jude, he tells us, Now unto him who is able to keep you, husband, wife, leader, whoever you are, 
to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, faultless before his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. That's the Jesus we serve. That's our commander. And who is with him because he's worth serving. God bless you. We love you. And we're excited to see what 2022 has for us all together. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.